And I want to welcome all of our campuses joining us for week one of our brand new series. I want to welcome our South Shore Campus, Gulf Coast. I want to welcome all the men and women at the Orleans Justice Center as well uh, as at St. Tammany Parish Jail. Come on, can we just welcome all the men and women joining us right now? Very excited to have everyone. I want to say uh, just a couple things up front. I'm very excited. Every year uh, we begin in January a series, a new series where we emphasize three different things. And I want to encourage everybody with these things. Number one, uh, I write this message series and the curriculum attached to it. Uh, and on the weekend, we have five messages starting today designed for you. Now, I am grateful that, how many of y'all believe that God answers our prayer? Come on, raise your hand. Okay. I prayed, oh God, if the saints go to the playoffs, <laughs> Jesus, may the game be late Sunday afternoon so no one can miss church. <laughs> Y'all may judge me. I mean, uh, last weekend it was Sunday what? This Sunday it is Sunday what? Next Sunday when they play it will be Sunday what? Afternoon. How I many you know God answers prayer? Come on, let's give it up for God. The reason why I say that is I am asking everybody to make a commitment the next five weeks, this week and four more, to be at the weekend services. Now, I do want to say if you have to miss a service, again, each weekend stands alone on its own. But uh, you, there's also a linear nature to the teaching. Number two. I'm going to say one more time to all of our campuses, our South Shore and Gulf Coast, all of you uh, as well, and our campuses, I'm asking you to please jump in a small group this week. We believe that life change happens best in circles. It is powerful when you're, how many times have you wanted to ask a question in a message, you couldn't do it, but you can in a small group. I'm asking you to please avail yourself of that. Third and final thing, and then I'll jump into my message. I wanted to say this to all of our campuses, uh, is this is a book that I wrote. It's a small group book, but it's also a journal. Uh, it is a devotional. Let me say it that way. Tomorrow, we will begin the devotional readings. Uh, and here's the thing about it. I'll teach you on the weekend. This material augments, augments and supplements. The uh, this is not the same as the weekend message. Same topic, different angle. So I want to encourage everybody, uh, those three things, weekend attendance, small group, if you're able to, and of course, the daily devotion. I want to say what I say every January. You will get out of this series what you put. I'll say it one more time. You will get out of this series what you put, what you put into it. I'm asking you to engage in the next five weeks. All right. I want to talk to you today in my time with you. I want to talk to you about what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're in a situation when you don't know what to do? Some of you are facing situations right now in your family, some relationships. Things have shifted. Things have changed. You're not quite sure what to do. Maybe it's a spouse or maybe with a child or, or, or maybe uh, an in-law or cousins or maybe, maybe it's a, a, a friendship at work and, and, and you've hit some snags and, and you're attempting to, you didn't see it coming. It was a left hook, something happened and now you don't know what to do. 
Maybe you recently went to go see the doctor and you thought it was just a routine checkup and you went in there and your mouth literally opened up and dropped. You thought, what are you talking about? You mean what? And now you're faced with a challenge, an obstacle. There's some adversity now that, that, that you're going to have to overcome with God's help. And you really don't know what to do. Some of you financially. Some people are doing great. Some are not. And, 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 and you get to the end of the month and there's more bills than resources. And you're trying to figure it out and you're, you're looking at it and you, you got everything lined out and, and, but you don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Last, some of you have been struggling with maybe an emotional, something in your life mentally or emotionally where there's a block and, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're not sure what to do. And, and I want to say this very respectfully, very pastorally, but there's a certain sense of hopelessness and even despondency that's begun to set in. And you don't know what to do. What do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? The fact of the matter is we live in a culture we live in a, 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 a society today where, where things are pressing in on us. There, there, there's, there's, so much, there's so much adversity. There's so much opportunity, but there's also so much challenge. It's kind of like technology. I, I love technology. I love the fact that, that we have our South Shore campus that's live right now, our Gulf Coast campus, all those prisons uh, that we connect with, and our online I love all the I love the benefits of technology, but I also am very cognizant and aware of the challenges. For instance, how many of you remember when you used to go to work, but now work comes to you with emails? Matter of fact, I was at lunch with somebody uh, recently and I looked down and I said, I said, I don't mean to be nosy, but on your phone, you've got 1,200 unanswered emails. Are you, do you have a plan to address that? And you know what they said? said here's what they said. They said, here's my plan. Ignore it. See, see, here's the reality. The reality is things are happening and they're moving and they're shifting and, and there's all these expectations around us. And the expectations. And let me tell you when that happens, pressure, right? Here it comes. Here it comes. Pressure starts moving in and in. You got obstacles and adversity and challenge and pressure and it causes stress. Matter of fact, why don't, why don't we just say that word? I know it's not a good word. Can we say stress? One, two, three. Stress. We live in this stressed out time. People are stressed out, freaked out, burned out, blacked out, browned out. Uh, they're just, wow. I was doing my finishing uh, touches on this, this, this uh, series, and I was, I was thinking about uh, stress. And I, I was thinking about what happens when you get stressed. Some of the physiological, some of the responses that we have. And, and I found this really, just a couple of things. What, what, here's a little quiz. You know you're stressed if, you ever read those before? Here, let me just give you a couple of things. You know you're stressed if antacid tablets have become your sole source of nutrition lately. You're stressed, ma'am. I'm just telling you, you're, sir, you're, you're pretty stressed out. Let, let, me give you, let me give you a couple more. You know, this is great. You know you're stressed. And you've, I'm telling you, we've all at some level, done, you, you know you're stressed if you begin to talk to yourself, disagree about the subject, and then get in a nasty fight about it and don't talk to yourself the rest of the night. You know what I'm talking <laughs> And you start answering questions nobody's asking. You ever been there before? You're stressed. 
Okay, you're stressed. Let me give you this last one. This is, this is good. You know you're stressed if you have the irresistible urge to bite the nose of people you're talking to. You find yourself growling more than talking lately. You're, you're stressed. Let me tell you what happens when we get stressed. You guys ready? Here, let, let me give you the three psychologists, by the way, will tell you this. Here are the three common responses to stress. Number one, we fight. We fight. We put on our gloves and we try to box our way out of tension and stress. And particularly, let me say this, particularly type A personalities. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of y'all have a type? Don't, don't raise your hands. I'll do it for you, you guys. But, but particularly type A's because when you get stressed, what you do is you grip it tighter. The problem is, is that you can't personality your way out of some certain situations. And you try to grip it. And here's the problem with that is, is, is there's often what I call collateral damage relationally. Your voice raises up a little bit. You just kind of muscle your way through it. Doesn't work. Interestingly enough, if you try to fight your way through stress, you often end up hurting those that are closest to you. You say things. You do things. Matter of fact, I've got four, four kids. My, my oldest son, it's, it's funny. It's not funny, but it is funny, but it's not funny. Don't tell them it's funny. And, and, and so if I'll, if I'll get you know, stressed sometimes and I'll say something I shouldn't say, and I didn't mean it, you know, I was a little bit strong with him, you know. And, and so he'll text me back, Dad, you're in the flesh right now. You'll text and apologize later. I'm going. I'm like, dude, don't preach to me my messages. Take your, take your phone from you. But you know what I'm talking about. But, but we do that, let me tell you, we do that when we, when we, when we react and we fight. Here, here's another way that, 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 and I'm telling you, psychologists are, number one is fight. The next one is flight. We flee. We get stressed. We get freaked out. We feel pressure. And we just think, you know what, I'm just going to take off. I'm just going to run and run. We get adrenalized. Just going to ramp up and just take off. Problem is, here's the problem. The problem is, at some point in time, you're going to have to stop. Okay? At some point in time, you're going to come to the end. And here's the problem. When you stop, guess what's still there? The problems. The adversity. The obstacles. The challenges. So number one, we, we fight we flee. Let me give you the other ones. We freeze. Let me tell you what happens this. Here's this one. This is called, you put your head in the sand. It's the ostrich principle. You put your head in your sand and you just hope it goes away. And so you got it there and you just, and, and just, and you just hope it goes away. It's going to go away. So, so what I mean by that is, is that, is that when, 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 when um, the creditor calls, we don't answer the phone. So the up, oh, up, no, voicemail, up, voicemail, voicemail. Oh, 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 when the person calls or you get a text to, because they want to meet for coffee to resolve it, we just, we just, we just, I'm not, I'm going I'm to ignore it. I'm going to ignore the symptom. I'm going to ignore the call. I'm going to ignore the bill. I'm going to ignore the, I'm going to ignore the fact that I'm growing increasingly despondent and I'm going in a dark hole. Let me tell you, you can't ignore your way out of that. 
You gotta be honest about it. That's why I'm so fired up you guys are here. Hopefully we can get some help. Hopefully some of, some of you, and, I, and I, so we're all at different places. I, by the way, I've been in the dark hole before 2010. You guys, have, I, I know what it's like to be in a dark hole and feel like, can I ever get out of this? So what do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you respond? It's interesting, when I was this week thinking about this message series, I was thinking about how we grapple with insecurities and fears and confusion and, and, and how people, men and women in the Bible, how, how they looked in Scripture, or how, excuse me, how when we look in Scripture, we see the different responses, whether it was Paul the Apostle or Peter or Esther in the Old Testament, this great woman of God, and how these different men and women. Matter of fact, I've said this before. I remember a guy told me one time, he goes, man, I wish I was in the Bible. I'm like, dude, you, you don't want to be in the Bible. It's like, why? I said, no, 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 you don't understand. You, you, you've read the Bible. Yeah, no, no. When you read the Bible, God puts like their whole life in the Bible. All their good, all their bad, all their ugly. Are you with me? All the exploits, but he also puts all their, 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 their valleys. So, so when I look at, but here's the cool thing about the Bible. It is, it is, it is a chronicling. It is a, it's the historical narrative. It, it, it is the capturing of people's lives that went through stuff. They went through stuff. But they went through stuff. Matter of fact, some of you guys, I don't ever recommend movies ever at church because somebody invariably is going to say that there's some demonic symbol in there and pastor, you recommended something that was something attached to something related to something. But I want to recommend a movie. <laughs> is that all right? Here it is. You guys ready? Here it is. The movie is The Darkest Hour, the Winston Churchill. It is powerful. Powerful. I saw it Friday night. And, and one of the famous, the famous, one of the famous quotes that I love, wasn't in the movie, but I've read a lot of stuff of Winston Churchill. Here's what he says. He said this. He goes, when you're going through hell, keep going. Get to the other side. We're not going to die right here. Listen, I'm telling you, if we will do what God says, we can get to the other side. We can get to the other side of that hurt, that pain, that stress, that fear. We don't have to die in the storm. How many are grateful that we can get through that? We can get through it. Matter of fact, I love the scripture. There's a, there's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole group of people that, that, that were in a storm. They were, they were right in the middle of a storm, the children of Israel. And they were caught. They were caught in this moment when they didn't know what to do. Somebody asked me once, Pastor, where does the children of Israel term come from? But like, who are the children of Israel? I said, the people of God in the Old Testament, where'd they come from? I said, well, from Father Abraham. I like to use humor and have fun because I think it helps to illustrate things and People learn things that way. And I said, what's from Father Abraham? What do you mean Father Abraham? Well, you remember Father Abraham? He had many sons. Many sons had, come on all you grew up in church. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons said, Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you. So let, don't look so, oh, come on. You, you got to participate in church. When's he going to get to the Bible? I will. 
I'm singing the Bible, sir. <laughs> well, Father Abraham had many sons. One of his sons was Isaac. And then Isaac had many sons, and one of his sons was Jacob. And Jacob had many sons. Matter of fact, 12 sons. And one of Jacob's sons was Joseph. I'm talking about where the children of Israel came from. Here it is. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. His 11th of 12 sons' name was Joseph. Joseph, one day as the youngest almost of the 12, goes to work and all of his brothers are there. And he goes to work and made a very foolish mistake. He told the brothers, hey guys, guys, I had a dream last night. What was your dream, Joe? When like, we get older? I own the family business. You guys work for me. <laughs> Probably not the smartest move to tell your older brothers that. Isn't that right? So what they did, they threw him in a pit. Then they sold him to Midianite slave traders. He ends up in Egypt. Now watch what happened. So here's Israel. I know I'm reversed from everybody. Israel, Canaan land, the promised land up here. Okay? Watch this. They sell him. He ends up down in Egypt. God's hands upon Joseph, he ends up becoming number two in all of Egypt. So here's what happens. I'll do it like this. I'm talking about where did the children of Israel come from? Abraham had a bunch of sons. One of them was Isaac. Isaac had a bunch of sons. One of them was Jacob. From Jacob's 12 sons came the nation of Israel. That's where they came from. So you got 11 up here with Jacob, one down here in Egypt. Watch what happens. There's a famine right here. They're starving. They hear that Egypt's got food. They didn't know this, but Joseph was elevated. He's in control of food distribution. <laughs> now these 11 guys come down. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. There's a beautiful restoration. Joseph goes, hey, bring Pop down. Now watch this. All these guys come down here now, and they live in Egypt. Where did the children of Israel come from? They came from Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, and Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And these 12 sons now are all in Egypt, and they had favor with Pharaoh, number one. But then there's Pharaoh, number two, and they lost favor. And then Pharaoh, number three, and they lost more favor. And then Pharaoh, four and five. And guess what? 400 years later, they're multiplying. And this is where the children of Israel came from. This is all germane to the series. And they're growing and they're multiplying. Pharaoh looks out one day and says, man, these guys right here, I'm nervous about these guys. If they rose up, they could take us over. They put them under slavery. They were friends. They only put them under slavery. Start whipping them, start abusing them. Here's what happens. God touches one of those Hebrews named Moses. Moses actually grew up in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. Long story how that happened. And God raises up Moses to be a deliverer. To deliver the children of Israel. I was putting my finishing touches this week on this message, really preparing it, laying out a whole series for you guys. I'm so excited about, fired up, and, and, and I, was, I was writing stuff down, and, and, and I was thinking about Moses, how powerful Moses is as a leader. And I came across this thing. This was just so funny. I, I, uh, there's this burglar that broke into a house, and, uh, and as he was looking around, he's just kind of, poking around, and all of a sudden, he hears his voice from the corner. Jesus is watching you. The burglar thought it was his conscience, like, what's up? So he's walking around the house a little bit, and here's what he hears. Here's what he hears. Jesus is watching you. Finally, he's got his flashlight. He goes, what is that? It's a parrot. 
And he goes, are you talking to me? The parrot goes, yes. And he says, what is your name? And the parrot says, Moses. And the, and the robber goes, that is so stupid. What kind of people would call their parrot Moses? And the parrot says, the same kind of people that would call their pit bull Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that good? They're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. If you didn't get that, we'll have prayer right after service. <laughs> right, up, right up here for you guys. Everybody say Moses. Moses is called by God to deliver the children of Israel. To deliver them from what? From the tyranny of slavery in Egypt. Well, where is he going to bring them? Here it is. Here it is. Back to the promised land. Back to Canaan land. Back to what we now know as modern day Israel. So Moses has this contest, this conflict with Pharaoh. He goes in, anointed by God. He goes in and he tells Pharaoh, let God's people go. He's speaking on behalf of God. He goes, let my people go, which is he's God's spokesman. Pharaoh goes, I'm not going to do it. Finally, the first plague comes. And Moses comes back, let my people go, speaking on God's behalf. And he says, I'm not going to do it. So the second plague comes. Third plague, plague, like the Nile turns into blood, that's a plague. Like they wake up one day and there's flies everywhere, that's a plague. Finally, one, two, three, four, five, six. Seventh plague, Moses, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not gonna do it. Eighth plague, ninth plague. Finally, 10th and final plague, boom. It breaks the back of Pharaoh, symbolically speaking. And he says, You guys can go. So all the Hebrew people, where are they going? They're going back home. All the Hebrew people, they're high-fiving one another. It's a party. They're singing. They're dancing. They're so excited. Here it is. And they leave Egypt. Man, they're seeing. They got their eyes set on the promised land. Where are they going? They're going back home. How'd they get to Egypt 400 years ago? Jacob's family moved down there, and they multiplied. And they're going, and, and, and they're so excited. They're telling stories, and I can't wait to, I've heard about homeland. I've never been before. I can't wait to see it. And, and, and we heard it's the land of flowing with milk and honey. It's huge fruit. It is amazing. And they get to this body of water, this first obstacle that they'd never seen before. They'd never been out of where they were. They saw this body of water. Does anybody know what the body of water was? It was called the Red Sea. They'd never seen it before. They didn't have Google Earth. <laughs> They'd never seen it. And they're like, what, what are we going to do about this? Moses, hey, what's up? Moses goes, I'm thinking about it. Hang on. Hmm. One guy goes, look, why don't we just backtrack a little bit and we'll go around it. So right when they turned around, Right when they turned around, because they're going to backtrack, they looked. They couldn't believe it. What is that? What's all that dust? And what's going on? Because in deserts, they'll have dust storms like that. And they looked. It was not dust just arbitrarily. It was being kicked off from the chariots of Pharaoh's army. Hold on. Didn't they just get the get out of jail card free? What are these guys doing? What's going on? So here it is now. Pharaoh is moving in 
quickly and they can't go forward because of the Red Sea. But now they can't go backwards. And they don't know how far the right and left is going to be. What are you going to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? That's where some of you are right now. You, you, you feel like you can't go forward. You got this obstacle, this, this, ins, this perceived insurmountable. It's so big in front of you. And you're like, man, I, I don't know what to do. The problem is... <laughs> You, you, you can't go behind either. You can't turn around. All of these emotions start coming through that. It's like, man, what do I do? What do I do? Exodus chapter 14, verse 9, we pick up. The Bible says, so the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them. He, they're closing in. They're closing in. They can't go forward. Now they've got Pharaoh's army going behind. And, and, and they're in this moment. And I began to think about this for a moment. I began to think about the reasons why we get in situations like that. I want everyone to listen. This is important. I'm laying a foundation biblically. I'm not going to revisit every week this whole historical narrative. But I want to give you the backdrop of why they were where they were. By the way, let me give you three reasons. Three, maybe four. Three or four reasons why we often find ourselves in tough spots. Why we find ourselves in spots of pressure. Why we find, find ourselves in spots where there's adversity all around us. Number one, sometimes we're in those places because of our own choices. We made a foolish choice. Maybe not sinful, but we made a poor choice. And now we're experiencing the natural consequences of that choice. All right? Number two, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation like that, not because of our choices, but because of somebody else's choices. You didn't see it coming, did you? It was a left hook. That business partner, that spouse, that relationship, that thing, it disintegrated. And now you're, you're, you, you've got what I would call, you've got the overflow of collateral damage you're now having to grapple with, and it wasn't your choice. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Sometimes we're in situations like this because of our choices. Sometimes somebody else's choices. Sometimes we're in choices. Sometimes we're in pressured situations. And not because of our choice or somebody else's choice, but because just the normal circumstances of life. Let me tell you what we don't believe at Church of the King. We don't believe at Church of the King. Give your heart to Christ. All your problems will go away and you'll never have another challenge. That's not in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, it's in red. Okay, here's what he said. In this world, you shall have challenges, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So as a Christian, it doesn't mean that we're exempt from challenges, but we have the wisdom and the strength and the biblical know-how to navigate through them to get to the other side. So sometimes you're in challenges. Yeah, sometimes you're in challenges not because of what you've done, not because of what somebody else has done, but sometimes it's just the normal fallenness of life. But let me give you the last one. Sometimes <laughs> we find ourselves in pressured situations not because of our choices, not because of someone else's choices, not because of the fallenness of culture. Sometimes we're in situations because God, Him, Self led us there. Wow. Wow. 
I, um, Church of the King uh, started 18 years ago. I was a youth evangelist in a church in Metairie, and gone to college and Bible school and was in seminary. And, and um, I, I was preaching and I was asked if I would consider coming across the lake. There was a small group of people that were meeting here. Church of the King was never my idea. I was asked to come here. And there was a small group of 19 people that were looking for a pastor and they contacted my pastor and, said, and prayed about it. And so, I, so I came in fall of 1999. I was 30 years old. And uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't have this big business plan. My wife and I went into the strategy. and What is your ministry marketing strategy? We, just, we had God. That's pretty good to have. We had one another. I mean, I, was, I wore a full-blown suit. My tar was so strong. I spit. I baptized everybody. <laughs> Whether they wanted to, every way. I just lose my voice halfway through this. I just, I'm now managing it better, a little bit. And we had so much fun. And I'm going to tell you, I was, I'm, I mean, like, I knew I was. I'm like, I'm not this good. I, I'm, not, I'm not even this good leader. I'm learning how to do all this. I'm a novice. I'm trying to figure this out. But God was just blessing us. Had a thousand people, then two thousand people bought a building and renovated, and this this the annex next door. Then we had three. And the first six years, I remember the Sunday in August, we had thirty two hundred people, thirty two hundred and forty six people. Man, we were rejoicing. We're like, this is amazing. One Sunday at Franco's Health Club, we baptized two or almost three hundred people. I'm talking about when our church had less than a thousand people. That's pretty cool when a third of the church gets baptized. It's either really good or. You weren't preaching Jesus, and nobody was getting saved, and one day you didn't, everybody got saved. I don't know what happened. But, I mean, it's like everybody signed up to get baptized. It was a miracle. And then we experienced something that, um, that, that so many of you that lived in the region at the time experienced Hurricane Katrina. And uh, many of you lost homes that lived on the South Shore, Slidell, Eden Isles, all that area, and was so deeply impacted. And I'm 35 years old, and... And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I, I, so we had 3,245 people. We didn't have church the next week. Then we didn't have church the next week. Then we didn't have church the next week or the next week. Four or five weeks, we didn't, we didn't have church. And then when we finally had church, we had 1,300 people. We lost 2,000 people. Watch this. Not because of a decision I made. But it was something that happened. And by the way, I had all these thoughts going through my mind. Because let me tell you what we didn't lose. Our bills. And as a pastor, I'm going, what's up? What's going to happen? Okay, you ever been there before? What do you do when you don't know what to do? People text me, pastor, we're in Houston, we're going to stay. And I understand. Not really. But anyway, so I'm just like, what about the dream? You know? (laughs) Oh, man. All of us have been there before. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. I'm just going to go through this. i got about five or six minutes. Stay with me. And when the Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to God. Their first response was this. They lifted their hands to God and said, Oh, God, we need your help. That's a good first response. 
Watch this. This is so interesting. Isn't it interesting that we have initially hands that are up to God like a child asking for help, but if God doesn't deliver us when we want, how we want, the way we want, the same open hands like this, God, we need help, can become the same grasped hands like this where we can say, God, why have you not? Watch what happens here. Verse 11 and 12, then they said to Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? They start, listen, one hand they're crying out, next hand they're criticizing. God, is Moses, did you bring us out here? There's no graves in Egypt, why'd you do this? Did you take us to die? Why have you dealt with this to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? By the way, that was not said. Isn't it amazing how we say delirium? We say things that are, because when we get in the realm of our emotions and subjectivity, they couldn't wait to get delivered. They were pumped to get delivered, and now they're changing their tune. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we die in the wilderness. They go from crying out to God like this, to murmuring and complaining and indicting God like this. By the way, there's nothing wrong. I need everyone to hear me. There's a big difference between asking questions, questioning the plan of God, why, versus, watch this, indicting the character of God. You never. It's a big difference. One is, God, why? We ask, there's nothing wrong with questions. God is not freaked out by your questions. But let me tell you, let me tell you when we step over the line. You never, you always, you did this. Time out, time out. God's not the problem. God's the solution. We live in a fallen world and there's also a bad devil. God's not, listen, there's, there's a devil and there's God. God wants to help us. God's not trying to hurt us. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly we can go into grumbling and complaining. I, uh, we have four children, and I, I, we have a daughter who's 20. She's, she'll turn 21 next month, and then I've got two sons. One that's 18 is a senior in high school. The other one's 17 is a junior. And then I have a seven-year-old little daughter who's about to turn eight, and she's adopted from China. And my wife and I, so we had three children in three and a half years. It's a lot. We're like, whoo, wow. So things are happening. It's like, sheesh. Anybody that has kids like that, it's like, whoo. But so, and we needed help. But anyway, so we prayed and we really felt even before we got married that we were going to adopt the child. Listen to me closely. What do you do when you don't know what to do and pressure's around by the way, the longer that it takes for the answer to come, that's when the test of the heart begins. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Don't miss this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to be out of here on time. All right? We filled out what's called a dossier. We had people, friends in our church that were adopting children, China, Russia, different places, and, and it was taken, the, the, the shortest, I, I, it was 14, 15 months, but it was kind of averaging about 18 months. So when our youngest son was five, we're like, man, we want to hurry up and do this and so, so that they're close together. And so, so uh, uh, 2003 and four, we're thinking about it, planning. And so you, what you do is you, you contact an agency 
They send a social worker. The social worker evaluates the, you know, your, the environment and you and your spouse. And, so, and, and then they sign off and then you start working towards your date when you go. So we fill out all this stuff. We're thinking, man, 15, 16, 18 months, man, we're so excited. They'll be six years apart or, or five, six years apart. Or, or, and, and man, this is, and, and, so, and so the year comes and, and, and there's nothing. And we're like, and we're getting word back that, that it may take, who we don't know. And then the second year passes. And then the third year passes, and we hear because the Olympics are in China, they're shutting down all adoptions, 2008. We're like, wait a minute. We feel like God spoke to us, and and this is part of God's plan for our lives. And and we always saw this, and we prayed about this, this little Chinese girl. And and, and so now it's three years. And and, and then it was four years, no baby. And we're not sure when. And I remember saying this. I'm embarrassed to say it. But in that... I started thinking about four-year mark, and I, and I started thinking about my friends that got their daughters quicker, and, and I actually say this. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it, and it's embarrassing, but I'm going to say it. I remember one time going, God, I love you, and I'm a man of God, and I'm helping a lot of people, and I'm a pastor, and how come they got, and I started comparing myself, and I started Slipping into the indicting. Basically, God, why did you do for them, but you haven't done for me? Look what I'm doing for you. Yeah. Finally, at the fifth year, we got our little daughter and went, and it was such a joy. But here's the point. The point is is that God is working amidst all of that. Well, why does God allow that? That's the question. That's where some of you are over these next four weeks. You've got to get this point. Why does God allow it? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, to demonstrate his power in your life. The second reason why he allows that situation. The second thing is is so we can grow in our trust and dependency. Now when I go through something, I'm not, listen, I'm maturing. There's no mature Christians. We're all in process, but I'm not where I used to be. That's what that song is. God, you did it before. You'll do it again. Lord, you did it one time, you'll do it again. We're growing in trust. Let me give you the third reason why we go through these things, to develop our insides, our character. I believe we have a destiny. I believe God has a plan for our lives, but I don't think the goal of life is just what we accomplish for God. I believe it's what we become while walking with God. Who you become. Are you sweeter today than you used to be? Are you kinder? Are you more of a servant? Are your motives more pure? I'll close with this. These last scriptures, and here's the blueprint. Here's the paradigm. Here's, 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 here's what I'm going to give you. This is the template that we're going to be talking about the next four weeks. Here it is. Here's these last scriptures. I'm going to roll it out. Exodus 14, verse 13 to 15. In these three verses are the four next messages that we're going to be unpacking. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Here's what God told Moses to tell the children of Israel. And Moses said to the people, number one, do not be afraid. Number two, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord whom you shall see today. And you shall see him again no more forever. And for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel, number four, to go forward. What are the ways that we are to respond 
Everybody with me at all of our campuses, I'm lining out the four messages. Last minute, here's what we're going to be dealing with next week. Number one, what do you do when you don't know what to do? God told Moses to tell the children of Israel, Moses, you tell them this. Number one, you tell them, fear not. Can y'all say that with me, the count of three? One, two, three, say it. Fear not. I'm going to teach you next week that the very first thing that hits you when you go through adversity, challenge, and crisis is fear. By the way, fear is both a negative mindset and it's also a demonic spirit. Paul said it this way, God has not given us a spirit, pneumos, a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am believing God as your pastor that we're gonna move into 2018. Listen, not trouble-free, but, but, but fearless to deal with what God has placed, to deal with the enemy throws, to deal with the circumstances of life. So everybody say, fear not. Yeah. Week three, I'm gonna be teaching what God told Moses to tell the people, stand still. Everybody say it, to what? Now, let me tell you, in the Bible, when you stand still, it's never passively resigning yourself to circumstances. To stand in the Bible is always actively, watch this, actively standing upon the word and promises of God, believing that at any moment, God's going to show up, break through, break out, and things are going to change. I'm going to teach you with the Bible, how do you stand in faith? We don't stand on our own personality, our own intellect. We stand on God's word and how to speak his word and to, and to entrench ourselves on the word of God against the obstacle. The third, uh, fourth week, I'm going to tell you what God told Moses to tell the people, and that is hold your, say it, peace. Let me tell you, listen, there's a war in our culture for peace. Do you remember when you guys used to sleep seven, eight hours a night? Now it's six, I say this respectfully. Now it's five. You didn't used to have to take something, now you gotta take things, now you gotta take more things. I say that respectfully. There's a fight for peace in our culture. The Bible says that we can experience the peace that surpasses our understanding. In other words, peace is not generated, it's not generated by our mental perspective. Peace is a tangible reality in the hearts of God followers where it's the Holy Spirit that envelops us. Where, listen, where we can have peace amidst the storm. How many are grateful we can have peace amidst the storm that we're going through? I'm gonna teach you in week four how to contend for peace. And then the last one is, God told Moses, you tell the children of Israel to get up and to go forward. Listen to me. I want everybody to stand. Matter of fact, right now. I, I want to say these closing statements. I've never been so fired up about this. But I want everybody to look at me. You need to make it for you, but you need to make it for some other people. If you quit... And throw in the towel on life, throw in the towel on, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just not gonna serve God. Let me just listen. You making it is not just about you, it's about other people. Me making it is not just about me, it's about you. I need you to make it, you need me to make it. We need one another to get up and to go forward in life. There's people struggling with suicidal thoughts. Let me tell you something. Those people need to hear about somebody else that was struggling with that, but they didn't kill themselves, but they got up and moved into what God had for their life. That's what they need. That's what they need. 
Listen. A single mom that's struggling needs to hear from another single mom, listen, that's struggling with God and me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. That's what they need to hear. You not making it is not just about you. There's couples that need to hear. There's people. We've got to hear from others. You making it's a big deal. Man, I'm so excited about this series. I'm going to pray for you. If you're in this place, you do not know Christ, our altar is going to be open. We're here to pray for whatever you have prayer needs for. If you do not know Christ, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Whatever prayer needs you have, we are here for you as a church. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people as they go forth this day. I pray for the grace of Almighty God. Lord, teach us to fear not, stand still hold our peace, and to go forward, becoming and doing what you've called us to be and do. Lord, we look forward to this next month in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Come on, can we do that?